Have you lost friends or families or colleagues or loved ones? Lost by lost, I mean, have you lost them to some sort of mind process where you no longer are on the same page? Hey, that did not happen by accident. We were all experimented on. I'm going to describe this process to you today. This is about mind games. Check this out. We are all lab rats. I mocked up a little, uh, little image down there. That's big tech, government, and media all together experimenting on all of us in our little cells. What do I mean by that? Well, we are obviously all parts of larger experiments. And by the way, uh, thanks, but that's, that's all I need to know about that, full stop. But we are being experimented on directly, but I mean in terms of our minds, in terms of how our, our emotions are being played, and it's gotten exceptionally sophisticated. And I just wanna go through some of that with you today because I think it's important to understand the degree to which all of us have been subject to mind control or mind games or nudging or programming. You pick a, a, a frame and a word that works for you that seems least objectionable, but let's make no bones about this. You and I are being experimented on constantly. Here's what I mean, let's go there. Um, this over at Peak Prosperity, Sand Kitty wrote in recently said, Nothing I post on those things on Facebook is seen by anybody anymore, even when I avoid keywords. It started as my circle of medical friends, mostly docs and nurses, disconnected from my spreading misinformation by doubting the safety of that stuff right there. One of my fellow ER doctors complained that even with four interventions, she and her partner had each had COVID four times. I implied that maybe these things we're not working and may have caused lowered resistance, unfriended. <laughs> but now it's non-medical people and even people who are who kind of agree with the stance completely shadow banned. What does that mean? This creates the impression of a consensus where one does not actually exist. For example, my children and grandchildren continue to do this thing away because all the respectable and authoritative people recommend it. Really? now. Are those actually authoritative uh, and respectable people, or is it the appearance thereof? Let's take a look at this. This is a pretty interesting study that came out in Yale uh, University, at Yale University. They studied uh, vaccine messaging here, COVID-19 vaccine messaging part one. Interesting clinical trial. We're going to look through it. By the way, this was first posted in July of 2020. Um, and last update in May of 2022. So this got conceptualized and put into a clinical trial format pretty early on. To have, to have this first posted by July of 2020, obviously to design a clinical trial takes time. Even one like this, which as you'll see has, might be faster than uh, a standard medical clinical trial. This one, you, I think we could understand how it could get set up a little bit more quickly, but still by July, I'm going to guess by March, somebody's thinking this through and they wanted to talk about vaccine messaging. So that's the study. I'm not here to weigh in on vaccines myself at all. I have no statements about that because I know that uh, it goes well beyond shadow banning if I dare to have any sort of uh, point of view about anything like that. So I'm not espousing any particular point of view. I want to talk about how sophisticated these efforts are to nudge us, to program us, to push us in a direction, to achieve certain policy aims through the use of messaging and things like that. Now, 
What was this study? It was interventional, so it did involve a clinical trial, meaning they went in, they had test subjects, and they exposed them to something, and we'll talk about what that is. 4,000 participants, randomized, always like to see that in a trial. Uh, parallel assignment was the intervention model, and the model description in this study, two out of 15 of participants, so they had 15 separate groups, two of those were assigned to a control message, which was about bird feeding, and three out of 15 went to a baseline vaccine message and one of 15 each to the remaining 10 other treatment arms. Uh, no masking, so this was open label, so the researchers knew what was going on and knew, knew which message they were delivering. I'd be hard to hide from the researchers. And it was pretty quickly done, right? So the study date was starting on July 3rd and it finished up by July 8th. So that they were able to get through 4,000 participants pretty quickly. All right, let's talk about what this was. And by the way, uh, here they are. This is uh, Aaron James and Scott Bokemper, Alan Gerber, Sad Omer, and Gregory Huber. We see here they're from Institute of Global Health at Yale, uh, the Institute for Social and Policy Studies, the study of American politics and political science, also epidemiology and nursing um, and internal medicine. So you, this is multidisciplinary. These people have a long history of doing studies like this together. So what is this that combines politics and political science and global health and all these other uh, subdisciplines? Well, it is this study. Now, um, by the way, these people here, remember those names? Gerber, Bokemper, Omer, and Guber, they, they, they write a lot of different things together. Here was a, an earlier paper they had done in 2021, came out in December. Say, the title of which is Persuading U.S. White Evangelicals to Vaccinate for COVID-19, Testing Message Effectiveness in Fall of 2020 and Spring of 2021. So they do a lot of messaging studies to find out what, which messages work the best. Now, this is something that marketers do all the time. This is not necessarily anything wrong with this kind of research, but I just want to reveal the kind of sophistication that is now going into determining how, when, and where to message things. And, and particularly what happens if that messaging is wrong and it goes off the rails. So that's where we're going with this. Now, by the way, this, is, this area has been studied for a long time. I would draw your attention here. In green, if you can see here, vaccination as a social contract is the title. Different sets of authors up here, but look at that. This was received for review in November of 2019. So how you... Uh, wrap up vaccination is a social contract, how you message that, all very well studied. Lots of money goes into figuring out how best to communicate these things to us. And I totally understand that on one level. Again, it's all fine and good unless, unless it's gone off the rails in some way. So we'll look at this and you tell me if you think it's gone off the rails or not. Uh, here, quote from this paper, they say here, quote, vaccine support controlling and eliminating infectious diseases. As most vaccines protect both vaccinated individuals and the society, vaccination is a pro-social act. Its success relies on a large number of contributing individuals. We study whether vaccination is a social contract where individuals reciprocate and reward others who comply with the contract and punish those who don't. So this is just to give you an idea of, of what's being done here. One of the more important books I read a while ago is called Influence by Robert Cialdini. And in there, 
talks about the different kinds of wiring that we humans have that marketers have, have stumbled across and then studied and then refined. And one of them is this idea of reciprocity. So that if I do something for you, you are far more likely to believe me, to do something in return, to be kind, to give me some sort of a pro-social action. Reciprocity is really, really important. The stick side of that story is what happens if I do something that starts to exclude you, shame you, shun you, uh, kick you out of the social group. That's the negative way of achieving the same thing because reciprocity, altruism, shunning, shaming, two sides of a coin, which are all about how, how do we belong? Who do we belong to? And are we accepted by the in crowd, by the tribe? You know, that's really important from a evolutionary standpoint. All right. So these sorts of studies have been going on for a while now. Um, by the way, if, if for some of you who emailed me, who you're, you were concerned, uh, I've actually been doing something I'll tell you about in just a second, but I, I do increasingly face that thing down there. It's happening a lot. And so I would invite you, if you want to make sure you're following me and my work and all the great stuff that me and my team are putting together, you can join up, become a member over at Peak Prosperity. Shameless self-plug is over. By the way, this is part two, so not quite over. I have part two of this. I'm going to be talking about that particular topic down there. Again, not sure I can talk about it here without facing more consequences because this goes against the nudging that's uh, been very carefully and heavily expenditured to make sure it happens. And by the way, you can follow me in lots of different places. I'll let you take a look at all of these different things, but I do want to direct your attention over there to Sovereign.media. It is a free speech platform. Increasingly, we're being um, led to put our material there. And as well, don't forget to subscribe. People get unsubscribed from this channel all the time little over 2000 just this past week. And if you like this and share it, that helps the video go further. But again, try and find us over there in places like Odyssey, Rumble, but increasingly Sovereign. Great place. Uh, the gentleman who runs it, Ben Swan, is an amazing guy. Really like him a lot. All right. What is this study we're going to be talking about? First, I have to direct you to this idea that it required an ethical exemption to run the Institutional Review Board, that's the IRB. The experiments reported here were fielded under an exemption granted by Yale University, normally experimenting on humans in a way, there's certain boundaries around that, as you could hope, right? And so uh, this needed an exemption, this exact kind of research, because this is seeking to nudge people's behaviors in ways when the thing that they were being nudged towards had not even yet come out of clinical trials. So kind of weird that you'd be nudging something to something where there, no data existed in terms of, oh, well, all kinds of things. All right. It had uh, three control treatment arms in here. And so the control message was something about bird feeding. And then it had these other ones. I'll talk about them all individually. There were treatment arms four, five, and six, were, which were about economic freedom, social benefits, social benefits, and community interest. I'll go into these in detail. Don't worry. Uh, economic benefits, social pressure, guilt, and social pressure, embarrassment. So they're trying different messaging out here. Uh, social pressure, anger, trust in science, not bravery as a category to be tested. So the active comparator control arm, number one, leaving aside the bird feeding thing, this was what they're going to compare everybody to. So they said here, quote, to end the COVID-19 outbreak, it's important for people to get vaccinated against COVID-19 whenever a vaccine becomes available. 
getting the COVID-19 vaccine means you are much less likely to get COVID-19 or spread it to others. Vaccines are safe and widely used to prevent diseases, and vaccines are estimated to save millions of lives every year. So this is their baseline informational control. And what, what they think they're saying here are just standard things that we all know are true. So um, kind of weird that they're, uh, you know, saying this about a class of things that have really not yet even remotely come out of testing at this, at, by this uh, early 2020. Hadn't happened yet. Um, in fact, you know, as you realize, we didn't get the provisional EUA for these until... December of the same year. So, but this is the active comparator arm one treatment arm. Number two here, they're trying to invoke self-interest and it says here, quote, this would be the message you would have received. Stopping COVID-19 is important because it reduces the risk that you could get sick and die. COVID-19 kills people of all ages. And even for those who are young and healthy, there is a risk of death or long-term disability. Remember, Getting vaccinated against COVID-19 is the single best way to protect yourself from getting sick. So they fed that message to people and then they measured how were they, how were they, what were they thinking before and then after this treatment was applied. So that was the self-interest one. Community interest reads, stopping COVID-19 is important because it reduces the risk that members of your family and community could get sick and die. COVID-19 kills people of all ages and even those who are young and healthy, there is a risk of death or long-term disability. Remember, every person who gets vaccinated reduces the risk that people you care about get sick. While you can't do it alone, we can all protect everyone by working together and getting vaccinated, end quote. So this is meant to activate that community interest. Oh, I'm a member of the community. I want to be seen in good standing. I would like to be uh, uh, contributing positively to my overall community, pulling against those, I think, awesome heartstrings that we all should carry around how we can contribute positively and make life around us better. So that was community interest. That was uh, treatment arm three, treatment arm four, much simpler. It was everything we just read plus guilt. Three, the message three, which we just read, and uh, plus the statement, imagine how guilty you will feel if you choose not to get vaccinated and spread COVID-19 to someone you care about. Treatment arm five was community interest plus embarrassment. So that's three again. Plus, imagine how embarrassed and ashamed you will be if you choose not to get vaccinated and spread COVID-19 to someone you care about. So it's embarrassed and ashamed. So they're testing that emotional response. You know, which of these things works a little bit better? Is it guilt? Imagine how guilty you'll feel. Or is it more effective to remind people of how embarrassed and ashamed they would be? Be good to sort of tease those apart, I would imagine, to these folks. How about community interest plus anger? It's three, again, plus imagine how angry you will be if you choose not to get vaccinated and spread COVID-19 to someone you care about. So what works better? Shame, embarrassment, guilt, anger? Trying to parse all that out and see if there's a better way to craft a message. Not bravery. Let me move this down a tiny bit because I'm in the way with my little picture. Treatment Arm 7 says, uh, quote, soldiers, firefighters, EMTs and doctors are putting their lives on the line to serve others during COVID-19 outbreak, outbreak, that's bravery. But people who refuse to get vaccinated against COVID-19 when there is a vaccine available because they don't think they will get sick or aren't worried about it, aren't brave. They are reckless. 
By not getting vaccinated, you risk the health of your family, friends, and community. There's nothing attractive and independent-minded about ignoring public health guidance to get COVID-19 vaccines. Not getting the vaccine when it becomes available means you risk the health of others to show strength. Get the vaccine so you don't get sick and take resources from other people who need them more or risk spreading the disease to those who are at risk, some of whom can't get a vaccine. Getting a vaccine may be inconvenient, but it works. End quote. So that was the statement that they were giving to people, and it's about strumming on the string of not bravery. Hey, you don't want to be a not brave kind of a person. You know, we have other terms for people like that, right? You wouldn't want to be one of those folks. Uh, so that's strumming on that. Does it work? Well, let's find out in a second. Treatment arm eight was about trust in science. And the quote here, this is the statement they fed for treatment arm eight. Quote, getting vaccinated against COVID-19 is the most effective means of protecting your community. The only way we can beat COVID-19 is by following scientific approaches such as vaccination. Prominent scientists believe that once available, vaccines will be the most effective tool to stop the spread of COVID-19. Prominent scientists. The people who reject getting vaccinated are typically ignorant or confused about the science. Not getting vaccinated will show people that you are probably the sort of person who doesn't understand how infection spreads and who ignores or are confused about science. So this is wrapping up a number of things here. Obviously, trust in science is strumming on the string of the opposite, which is, hey, you wouldn't want to be ignorant. You wouldn't want to be a dummy. You want to be part of the in crowd. You want to be seen as intelligent. You want that social in-group inclusion. Hey, you're going to believe in the science. You're going to trust the science. You're going to trust the experts. So that was the message that they were trying out. See how that worked. And treatment arm nine says uh, this is about personal freedom here. And, uh, quote, COVID-19 is limiting many people's ability to live their lives as they see fit. People have had to cancel weddings, not attend funerals, and halt other activities that are important in their daily lives. On top of this, government policies to prevent the spread of COVID-19 limit our freedom of association and movement. Remember, each person who gets vaccinated reduces the chance that we lose our freedoms or government lockdowns return. While you can't do it alone... We can all keep our freedom by getting vaccinated, end quote. One quibble, this whole idea of having to not attend funerals was usually not a personal choice. That was because there was a government mandate or a law or a restriction put in place around that. So what they're really saying here, personal freedom, the way you get your personal freedom is by doing the things your government wants. So the government will grant you your freedoms back. By the way, this would imply subtly, not so subtly, that freedom is not a right. It's a privilege and you wouldn't want your privileges revoked, right? So they're testing out that messaging. Hey, if we can, you know, promise to cage people for longer, will that make them more compliant or more willing to accept something that they otherwise are hesitant about? All right, that's treatment arm nine. And then rounding it out here, treatment arm 10, economic freedom. Hey, COVID-19 is limiting many people's ability to continue to work and provide for their families. People have lost their jobs, had their hours cut and lost out on job opportunities because companies aren't hiring. On top of this, government policies to prevent the spread of COVID-19 have stopped businesses from opening up. True. Remember, each person who gets vaccinated reduces the chance that we lose our freedoms or government lockdowns return. While you can't do it alone, we can all keep our ability to work and earn a living by getting vaccinated. So economic freedom kind of commingled with the idea of 
of community and inclusion, but also with the self-interest of your own economic and other people's economic well-being. So, hey, do what you can. This is the path. You can clearly see, even by July of 2020, what, what the clear path was. It was very clear what had been settled upon. These things work. They're our only path back to freedom. We all have to do it. Otherwise, we're not brave. So, and don't trust in science. So that's sort of the, the shaping up of this particular study. And then um, there was the last one, which is treatment arm 11, which is the community economic benefit. And uh, says here, quote, stopping COVID-19 is important because it is wreaking havoc on our economy. Thousands of people have lost their jobs and are unable to pay their bills. Many others have been laid off by their employers and do not know when they will be called to return to work. Remember, and they go back into that statement, which we've read before. Um, so that's the study, and that's how it all got set up. And what were they measuring for? The primary, they had one primary, four secondary outcomes. The primary outcome they were looking at here was the intention to get the COVID-19 vaccine. So it's a self-reported measure immediately after the intervention mes message of the likelihood of getting a COVID-19 vaccination within three months and then six months of it becoming available. So they're asking you before you have this intervention message, I don't know how many times they gave it to you. Was it once? Was it a hundred times? I, I don't know what the, I don't know what happened there, but, um, and, um, so during analysis responses among those assigned to different intervention messages are compared to those in the control group. And remember the control group itself was pretty strong. It was basically saying, Hey, uh, it's important that we, that we all get vaccinated. And if you do get vaccinated, it means you're much less likely to get COVID or spread it to others. And by the way, these things are safe and widely used to prevent these diseases and they save millions of lives every year. That's a pretty strong baseline control message. And then they're comparing all of these other ones against that. So that's the primary outcome. They had four secondary outcomes. Pretty interesting too. Number one was the vaccine confidence scale. So looking to see if you're confidence in vaccines had gone up or if not um had they gone down or if by how much in either direction Two, persuade others item and so this is a measure of your willingness to persuade others to take the COVID-19 vaccine three fear of those who've not been vaccinated and this is a measure of comfort with an unvaccinated individual visiting an elderly friend after a vaccine becomes available and then four, and finally, for secondary outcomes, social judgment of those who do not vaccinate. Scale of composed of four items measuring the trustworthiness, selfishness, likableness, and competence of those who choose not to get vaccinated after a vaccine becomes available. So you can see here that clearly this is about how do we nudge people? How do these researchers help to nudge people so that they're more likely to get a vaccine? And if they do this well, uh, you'll have more people out there and more people willing to not only take it, but to recommend other people take it as well. And one of the, you do that with both a few carrots. Hey, you, you might not die. You, you'll earn more money, things like that. But if you notice, if you're adding that up mentally, you'll have seen that there were more sticks in this story. These are ways to make people say, oh, that would be painful if I didn't do that, right? Like, I'm going to lose money. I might die. I'm going to lose friends. I'm going to be seen as ignorant. I'll be seen as anti-science, whatever it is. I'll be cast out of the social club of inclusion. And that's obviously a very big stick for a social species like us. All right. So that's what they did. I'm, as you were hearing these, I bet you were starting to think of examples you had seen uh, throughout this whole pandemic. And you would be right. A lot of these things did get used. So 
These are the findings. Um, there were three big columns here. First was intention to vaccinate in A. B was, uh, were you going to advise a friend to? Did that change at all? Or C, were you judging a non-vaccinator? All right. So some of these didn't have a lot of impact. So the baseline, they score that basically a one. How about um, self-interest? You know what? Self-interest didn't really move the needle in any of these three categories here. How about this one? Hmm community interest. Well, it did nudge it here on the intention to vaccinate pretty strongly. A little bit of a nudge here on advise a friend and um, not much, a little bit of a nudge there. But guilt, guilt moved it pretty, pretty good in, in all three categories. Embarrassment. Now this one, this one's on fire. That one's, that one's nudging strong in all the categories. Anger, eh, there's a little bit in the intention to vaccinate, not too much in the other categories of advising a friend or judging your friends. Not bravery, pretty strong. Not bravery was out there hitting pretty hard. And trust in science, positive scores in all three buckets. And personal freedom, again, hitting pretty strongly in all the buckets. Economic freedom, not much. And community economic benefit. Not much. So you can clearly see if you had access to this and you had to craft messages, I think you could see where you would begin to focus your messaging if you wanted to focus messaging in order to have more people go the direction you wanted them to. And likewise, you would also know which messaging you wanted to suppress. So uh, they said here, if pulling from their study, they said messages that frame vaccination as a cooperative action to protect others or emphasize how non-vaccination might negatively affect one's social image will increase reported willingness to advise a friend and judgment of non-vaccinators. So they were really looking to spike judgment of non-vaccinators. They were looking to spike your own a sense of negatively being impacted socially by these things. And so this is, this is what, this is, this is the study. Now, what happens when you get studies like that? Well, you, you, I don't know if I, who knows, but when you read a headline like this, that we saw Faye Flam here writing in Bloomberg, not vaccinated, here's how you could kill someone's father. Fits clearly under secondary category outcome to me of number three, fear of those who have not been vaccinated, right? Plus that guilt, um, you know, gosh, imagine how you'd feel. Gosh, I hope ashamed, embarrassed, maybe guilty that you killed someone's father right? Uh, pretty strong. So we can see this is, this is the kind of nudging material that we were just surrounded by through the end of 2020, through 2021, and even here, sadly, into 2022. And these messages were on TV all the time. Well, let's turn to this one right now. See if you can detect any of this messaging subtly in this by Lena Wen here on uh, Democracy Now!, Sure, and I just first want to clarify that I was opposed to the CDC yes. back in May when they lifted the indoor mask requirement. I thought that the honor code was never going to work, that when vaccinated and unvaccinated people are mixing, unless there is proof of vaccination, everybody should still be wearing masks. And so I actually support what the CDC is now doing, which is going back to this indoor mask requirement, because frankly, we know that we can't trust the unvaccinated, that they have been walking around without masks. And in fact, that's what led to the surge that we're seeing. We can't trust the unvaccinated, because as we all know, we can't trust the unvaccinated. Oh, I think we see where some of that messaging might have come from based on this study that I just showed you that would score through these things and say, hey, listen, if you only have four minutes, three minutes, two minutes, you're on a national platform, 
you would want your messaging to be about the shame, the out group sort of experience, the things like that. That that's again, this is all in service of pushing towards a certain outcome. Again, we could all we can argue till we're blue in the face whether this was appropriate or inappropriate <clears throat> from a public health standpoint. But imagine if that same dedication had been put on vitamin D early on. Hey, we've got a 15 arm comparator group here and we're going to run a clinical trial to find out which messaging is most effective at getting people to not only take vitamin D, but advise a friend to do it. Um, things like that. Okay. So carrying on, um, I think this falls under uh, the social judgment, number four of the secondary outcomes, social judgment of those who don't vaccinate. And remember, we're looking at trustworthiness, selfishness, likableness, or competence. And so if you say, wow, trustworthiness right there, it's just straight up social judgment. You can't trust these unvaccinated people, of course, she said. Uh, so that was messaging. How about this? The star in Canada, and by the way, so sorry to all my Canadian friends. I mean, Canada really went nuts on this whole thing. Here's an example. The unvaccinated cherish their freedom to harm others. How can we ever forgive them? I mean, this is a legit headline. I mean, this is the kind of stuff we were facing. This is, um, uh, when was that from? January 15th of 2022. Oh, that's so medieval. That's so from other century ago kind of stuff. Obviously social judgment, um, hitting here again. How about this? Um, uh, this is, uh, for, again, from Peak Prosperity, a comment saying, quote, my wife had someone whom she was friends with since kindergarten. My wife is 30. Tell her that she can't be friends with her anymore because we're not jabbed. She works in the healthcare industry. Her neurologist husband has dedicated his life to medicine. So they get to take the self-appointed moral high ground due to deeming themselves to be more knowledgeable because they're in the in-group that believes in science. How about this? Uh, so what happened? Obviously, we know that in Canada, they experimented vigorously on its own citizens. And these were experiments. Don't know if they went random past institutional review board approval or not. But the nudge unit was Ottawa's behavioral science team investigating how Canadians feel about vaccines and public health and who to trust. And um, they say here, uh, vaccines are one miracle of science in this pandemic, but another scientific experiment has also produced surprisingly speedy and widespread results over the past year. It happened in the realm of behavior science and ordinary citizens were the laboratory subjects. A year ago, few people would have believed that science would come up with a vaccine ready for mass immunization around the world at the start of 2021. But who would have also predicted that citizens could be persuaded to turn their lives upside down, wear masks, and isolate themselves from friends, families, and friends for months on end? Also, terminate the employment of people, um, not allow them to go to school or university, and turn friends in. There were lots of things that happened, and we have to understand them in the context of, were these organic behaviors that people were suddenly demonstrating, or were these the outcome of experiments? Are we that easy to push? The ASH experiments say we are, A-S-C-H. Uh, the Milgram experiments suggest that, yes, we are highly susceptible and suggestible, susceptible to programming, suggestible creatures, and some of us more so than others. So when you run large-scale experiments like this, I think we, our ability to perform these experiments and then roll them out has kind of exceeded and outstripped our ability to monitor them or to ask the appropriate questions like, should we do this or maybe not, right? I don't know. Some open questions there for all of us to wrestle with a little bit. By the way, Canada really went all in on this whole call, on the anger side of that messaging and also the othering. 
Look at this. Simmering divide. I have no sympathy left for them. Unvaccinated patients do not deserve ICU beds. This was, again, Toronto Star. Much to its enduring shame, I hope, at some point in time. Uh, again, just pouring this out. This is from August of 2021. This, I believe, is showing us the social pressure, anger side of this. Also, the othering and the exclusion, the kicking people out of the in crowd and all of that. And by the way, this didn't happen organically. Military leaders in Canada were super excited because they finally had a real world opportunity to test these things out on their own citizens. Normally they would have been doing this. I don't know. Somebody else, maybe Afghani villagers. But now this guy right here, uh, Lieutenant General Mike Rouleau, super excited to be able to experiment on his own citizens. Quote, Canadian military leaders saw the pandemic as a unique opportunity to test out propaganda techniques on an unsuspecting public. A newly rele released Canadian Forces report concludes the federal government never asked for the so-called information operations campaign, nor did cabinet authorize the initiative developed during the COVID-19 pandemic by the joint Canadian Joint Operations Command, then headed by Lieutenant General Mike Rouleau. Nice looking guy over there. But military commanders believed they didn't need to get approval from higher authorities and developed <laughs> to develop and proceed with their plan. Hmm. Their propaganda plan was developed and put in place in April of 2020. It was already there in April of 2020 when most people were still scrambling with this idea of what is this thing? How do we get our arms around it? What are the best responses? They already knew. They were ready to roll out with their um, propaganda campaign by April. So super exciting times for the Canadian military there. Nudge, nudge, uh, continuing on in Canada, we see here, look at this series of $50,000 grants here for encouraging vaccine confidence in Canada. We got an organization called Sick Kids Building COVID-19 Vaccine Confidence and Educating the Educators. Cool. You got McMaster University. We'll see if they live this one down. Encouraging vaccine confidence among pregnant and breastfeeding Canadians. Um, just a study they ran and and uh, university of british columbia and uh the mount royal university and university of ottawa and on, on there's page after page of this so lots and lot about two million bucks worth of fifty thousand dollar pops to go out and improve the messaging get it out there encourage uh the uptake and adoption of vaccines that's where all the focus went so how about community messaging i saw a lot of examples of this Quote, the headline reads, they didn't want to get COVID-19 shots. This is what convinced them. From that article, a discussion with her doctor reassured her that the vaccine was safe and a needle prick she realized was manageable if it meant saving lives. After several months of thinking about it, Serrano decided, I want to do this, just do my part. So obviously Serrano is helping to persuade others. So that was the, whatever messaging was put forward was very effective in that. And as well, the community message, I want to do my part. I obviously, I don't want to get other people sick. All of these messages are coming around. So this to me no longer is an accidental, like this is just a reporter reporting on a doctor who happened to say some things to a random patient and it comes together. And this is what happened. This is a lot more coordinated than that. And Again, we could make arguments for that. We could make arguments against that for it would be if what you're doing on balance credibly is actually working to improve lives, reduce mortality, and otherwise limit the negative impacts of this public health scourge that you are fighting. Um, on the downside would be kind of the opposite of those things. What if you're accidentally doing things that are more harmful than helpful? You wouldn't want to give extra English on that ball. The nudges would not be helpful in that case. So what I'm 
putting forward here is that a lot of these efforts were rolled out very excitedly, very little oversight, not a lot of conversation, and they just rolled forward. And now we're sort of starting to understand some of the impacts of that and that this wasn't always a positive. All right, carrying on, um, see if you can detect any of the messaging that we just talked about and spin on the ball in this particular thing here. But I want to end with this question. You are now getting attacked. As you know, many state public health officials have quit their jobs over the last year because of the unrelenting attacks that have taken place. And now you're at the focal point. What is your level of concern that we're going to discredit public health officials to the point of, you know, look at Russia. They actually have a good vaccine and none of their citizens will take it because they don't trust their own government. Right. It's very dangerous, Chuck, because a lot of what you're seeing as attacks on me, quite frankly, are attacks on science. Because all of the things that I have spoken about consistently from the very beginning have been fundamentally based on science. Sometimes those things were inconvenient truths for people and there was pushback against me. So if you are trying to you know, get at me as a public health official and a scientist, you're really attacking not only Dr. Anthony Fauci, you're attacking science. <laughs> so the question was, Hey, Fauci, how do you feel about these attacks on, on these public health officials? And he only managed to mention the word me four times and himself twice uh, in the third person. Way to go there, Fauci. Uh, very, very um, heartwarming how, how much you internalize other people's <laughs> experiences and lead from a place of example. At any rate, that whole idea that, you know, again, he's, he was very, Fauci was full on on this message and, and, and of infallibility which he wrapped himself in and got it all tangled up, which was unfortunate because it turned out, guess what? He was highly fallible in this whole adventure, even to the point that the Wall Street Journal in an opinion piece just this week is also questioning like, ah, you know, of the things, many things Fauci may have done. One of the things he did was damage trust in science. Not a good move, not a good look. But when we see this, we can see the messaging is all about pushing forward this idea of like, listen, you're either in the science club and in the know, you're a knowledgeable person, you believe in science, or you don't. You're one of these ignorant people. So we can see that. That was the science messaging right there. Um, I believe, you know, that falls clearly, obviously, under the trust in science message. No surprise there. Uh, but it did backfire, as I mentioned. Look at this. You know, one of the legacies that the Wall Street Journal is in the opinion section, but that they're... This is pretty mainstream now, starting to say, ah, but his legacy includes more public distrust. The most I've ever seen in my lifetime, including among yours truly here. I've never been more distrustful of my beloved science. But um, it wasn't just, this wasn't just limited to the U.S., I mean, to the Canada side of things and uh, elsewhere. We got, we got this. That if hospitals get any more overcrowded, they're going to have to make some very tough choices about who gets an ICU bed. And that choice doesn't seem so tough to me. Vaccinated person having a heart attack? Yes, come right on in, we'll take care of you. Unvaccinated guy who gobbled horse goo? Rest in peace, Wheezy. You're the people who are not getting vaccines, who are believing the lies on the internet instead of science, it's time to start shaming. It's time to start shaming them. So this messaging that we were all exposed to, it's not organic. It came out of research centers. It came out of nudge units. It came out of people whose professions, permanently sullied as far as I'm concerned, set about trying to figure out how best can they use the power of big media, 
with government in cahoots with this powerful messaging to come forward and create a narrative because they had a place they wanted to go with this whole narrative, but they didn't allow anybody to have their own opinions about things, to develop any of their own points of view around where they would want to go with this. There was a, they wanted to strip away the individual freedom because you can clearly feel what the overriding narrative was. There is a path. We all have to be on this path. If anybody isn't on the path, then the whole thing doesn't work. So they really wanted everybody on the path. Now, this happened in the UK too, of course. There were nudge units over there, uh, ministers. They, they actually had a little bit of soul searching about this uh, back in January of 2022. It says here, ministers have used propagandistic tactics to scare public into complying with COVID rules. Founder of Number 10's nudge unit claims Simon Ruda suggested there had been an overemphasis on modeling and data and described the use of fear as egregious. And that fear comes out again, that's the self-interest arm that they were testing out where your self-interest is not dying. So they use that fear. They use the fear of you harming other people, you harming your own loved ones, you harming yourself. They, they really whoop that fear up. And as you saw in the statement down there, see it says COVID-19 kills people of all ages. That's a statement right there. It's got a, per, uh, a comma. That's a full-on clause. Okay, it doesn't. And we knew that then, and we've known that for a long time, but they ran forward with that. That messaging was always confused, always. Hey, it kills people of all ages. Not equally, and not even remotely uh, the case in, in the story, but they always led with that to the point that people got very, very confused over whether or not that was true. And the reason people got confused is because they were being nudged to believe that constantly. It's very hard to resist this programming. Congratulations to everybody who stepped outside and was not, became immune to the near wall-to-wall -wall coverage of this programming to get you convinced that, you know, this was going to be a pandemic of the unvaccinated. There was going to be a very dark winter of death and hospitalizations that you were going to kill grandma on and on. All right. Now, speaking of that UK thing, I mean, just so I want to just want to break this down, show you how this actually works a little bit. It's pretty bad. So in the Financial Times, you had here this piece written in December of 2021. COVID has demonstrated the power of the nudge. This writer is the chief executive of something called Nesta. It's a company, the Innovation Foundation, which is acquired the behavioral insights team from the UK government Hold on to that. Um, and so uh, uh, this is the UK's behavioral insights team. That's their nudge unit. And uh, quote, when behavioral science was engaged as part of the pandemic response, the results were positive. Over 50 online trials were conducted. I just showed you one of them by the BIT to work out which messages best help citizens make decisions. A large field trial was undertaken involving more than 2 million people. With their knowledge, no, did not happen. To test which text message most increased vaccine take up. Um, who is Nesta? Well, here they are. Uh, they are over here, down here. That says, uh, we are the UK's innovation agency for social good. And it's led by the guy who wrote this uh, op-ed we're looking at right now, Ravi. And prior to joining the International Rescue Committee in 2013, Ravi held a number of roles in the UK government, including Director of Strategy at the UK's Department of Energy and Climate Change, and as Strategic Advisor to the Foreign Secretary. So it makes a lot of sense to go from those roles into wanting to run a company that's involved in figuring out how to shape policies and nudge those policies, get them going in the right direction. I get it. They say here in this op-ed, uh, Ravi was writing, quote, COVID has also demonstrated the power of social norms. 
Another tool used by behavioral scientists, social distancing or mask wearing may emerge spontaneously or through compulsory measures, but they often grow and are sustained by our desire to conform to what other people perceive to be typical or desirable. That's the social inclusion. So it matters when political leaders are seen with their faces uncovered in a hospital or parliament, end quote. It really does. And of course, we've seen dozens and dozens of examples of the leaders putting these, these pieces on, uh, face masks on, and walking onto the stage and then unhooking them and walking off or being uh, recorded somewhat off camera, as, as it were, not, not realizing they were on camera and, and then seeing that they weren't wearing their face masks. So there was some element of theater to this. We all knew that because we saw the theater being conducted over and over again. And the reason behind the theater is what Ravi's writing about here, which is, oh, well, you know, there's social norms. It's, it's a tool. It's a tool used by behavioral scientists. Um, also, he said, uh, he says here, we have also had a glimpse into how behavioral science might evolve. Machine learning can now help us tailor particular policies. By machine learning, we're talking about your social media experience. Quote, whether tackling productivity, climate change, or reducing crime and ill health, helping citizens make better decisions and form different habits is both important and feasible. A recent review of more than 126 randomized experiments in the U.S. showed some results. Nudging. Simple, cheap, and effective. 126 randomized experiments. Look, we, we got to my punchline here. I just want to let you know you were being experimented on. I'm being experimented on all the time. There's people out there running experiments. They're trying to figure out how can they nudge you. Sometimes they want to nudge you to buy this brand of soap instead of this brand. Sometimes they want to nudge you to do this and not that. They want to nudge you into decisions. And so it's just important to understand that you are being, I'm being, we're all being nudged constantly. No problem. I don't really care if you want to try and nudge me into buying your soap brand. I don't care. I'll try it maybe. If it doesn't work for me, if it isn't a good product, hey, I'll drop it. But when you're trying to nudge me towards a set of things that are fundamentally not in my own self-interest, though, this is where we go off the rails. You want to talk about this is why I think there's such an, an extraordinary um, overreaction to this idea of misinformation, malinformation, because this is this is the iron law of projection. The people who are complaining most about those things are actually involved in perpetuating and conducting most of it. So this whole idea that what what's worse than misinformation that is carefully designed by a team of psychological experts with machine learning capabilities, with an iron law of using social inclusion because they've got leaders and celebrities on board to convince people to do the wrong thing. Now, I'm not saying they did that in this particular case. Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. Got some data. But this is something that's going on and it's and it's really powerful. It's really powerful. So it begins to explain why you've lost colleagues, friends, loved ones, neighbors, people that you used to get along with. I mean, as I say, COVID-19 killed a lot of my heroes. Just none of them died from the disease. We learned that some people were really actually very susceptible to being programmed this way, adopting it, and then running off with it. And it must be one of the most challenging things ever is to try and admit that you got fooled like that, to admit you got taken in, particularly for people who consider themselves to be intellectual, doctors, lawyers, college educated people, people like who consider themselves to be rationalists like Sam Harris must be incredibly difficult to admit 
you got conned, you got programmed, you got taken in. And this isn't just running around this one area I covered here, which is around COVID-19 and vaccinations. This is running around people's political personas, whether somebody's getting elevated or trashed in the media, whether certain policy ideas are being elevated or hidden. These are all now subject to this concept of mind control, programming, nudging, whatever you want to call it. It's all kind of in that one bucket for me. Um, yeah, Australia's got its nudge units. We've talked about them before, the behavioral insights team in Australia. You know, they say, what are they, what's it? Uh, they say, the NSW, Victoria, and federal governments now all have behavioral units, and they say uh, Australia is regarded as one of the leaders in the global application of behavioral insights. And so, yes, you are Australia. So to all my Australian listeners, you got professional nudge units. They are busy doing what they do. By the way, for everybody, you've, you know, I've been a little bit quiet on this channel for a while. The main reason is I'm busy rewriting, well, this book right here. Um, I'm busy rewriting this one here, the crash course. This is coming out as a revised edition soon. I've been really hard at work at it. Every single line has been gone over. It's the most important work of my life and uh, happy to be revising it, working with Wiley. And we're going to get that out a little bit later on. So thank you for your patience as I've been a little bit quiet because this has taken a lot of my attention. I just had to get today's story out though, because Super important. By the way, I'm going to be talking about that topic down there below. And uh, let's hope that this topic that I have talked to you about here today manages to remain uncensored because it could be a little sensitive, I think, to talk about the ways in which this platform and others have been used by the behavioral scientists to achieve certain policy outcomes. That's all. So with that, thank you so much. I will see everybody else over at Peak Prosperity. We'll be talking about that topic I just mentioned there. Thank you so much for listening. It's good to be back with you. We will see you next time. Bye.